Welcome everyone to Dinner with a Side of Sci-Fi. I'm Deva and I'm here with... Jason! And tonight we are going to be making sweet potato black bean enchiladas with avocado lime crema and discussing Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. There's a lot of words in there. There's a lot of words, <laughs> but I'm excited about the recipe and I enjoyed the book so I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, so the recipe we're going to be... Dicing up some sweet potatoes and roasting them. Um, and then we're going to be making an enchilada sauce and an avocado lime crema to put on top. And then once our potatoes are roasted, we're going to mix them with black beans and put them in tortillas and put it in a pot or a, what are they called? 8 by 11 casserole pan and stick it in the oven. So, Jason, so while you're prepping the potatoes, I will, I'll give a summary of our, the book we read. Okay, great. So I'm going to start by dicing the potatoes so we can get them in the oven. All right, so Station Eleven starts off. Arthur Leander dies during a production of King Lear on stage on the eve of the Georgian flu. We then follow the lives of people who had some connection to Arthur. Jivan, an entertainment journalist who turned into an emergency medical technician, who rushes on stage when Arthur falls. Kirsten, a young actress in the play with Arthur, uh, his first ex-wife, Miranda, his old friend, Clark, and his son, Tyler, who becomes a cult leader after the Georgian flu devastates the earth. We see how they deal and find a new life in this post-pandemic world, um, except for Miranda, who ends up dying from the flu on a business trip. But Miranda, she did spend her life creating the Station Eleven comic. Uh, which becomes a huge inspiration to Kirsten and Tyler. And Kirsten, she has joined a traveling symphony that performs Shakespeare, uh, which Tyler, who is now known as the Prophet, causes trouble for. They eventually escape the Prophet uh, and end up visiting Clark at the Museum of Civilization at the airport. So this was a really interesting book. A lot of uh, kind of different time frames. You know, we start off right before the Georgian flu, but then little flashback to Miranda and Arthur's relationship, you know, when they met, their marriage, uh, the eve of their divorce, or the night where they, where Miranda realizes that Arthur is having an affair with his second wife. Uh, You know, we we follow Kirsten, the actress, uh, as a child working on the play with Arthur, and then we see her as a 28-year-old on the road with the traveling symphony, uh, having to fend for herself along with her symphony mates in this post-apocalyptic world. Um, and then Clark is his friend that ends up getting grounded at the airport during the Georgian flu. Uh, it's very quick, so his plane gets diverted. He was flying to Toronto to go, go to Arthur's funeral. And his plane gets diverted to Severn City, Michigan, I believe. And that's where he stays. Like no one, The airport shuts down, and they end up just living at the airport for the rest of their lives. Yeah, okay. So, what did you think, Deva? Well, I really like this book. So, I have read this before, and I remember really liking it the last time I read it. So, I was wondering if I still would, and I did. I really liked it still. Uh, When I started, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this as much, but I just really love how everything is mixed together in the book, because Mm -hmm. my biggest complaint about post-apocalyptic books is I really like the beginning, where it's chaos and everything is transitioning, and People are not really sure what's happening, and it's a mix of people just panicking and people not panicking. Like, I just, for some reason, I really like that part. Um, so this book kind of did that 
because they kept going back to, you know, talking about, you know, what was happening on the stage show or, you know, Miranda and Arthur met each other like two weeks before the pandemic started. And they kept saying in two weeks, the Georgian flu would be devastating the world. But Arthur and Miranda were talking about their relationship. You know, I like, I really like that. It made it just so ominous. You know, I felt a lot of similarities to A Brief History of the Dead. Yeah. The narrative style, how instead of The City of the Dead, we jump forward to the post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. And I like how everything was tied together through Arthur instead of through Laura Byrne. That's true. That is very similar. Yeah. I mean, the similarity of them both both being having like a, a plague that kills everyone was obvious. But yeah, Arthur definitely was like kind of the Laura of this book. Yeah. For sure. And, you know, it sort of lucks out because he never has to experience the Georgian flu. Yeah, he, he probably would have died anyway. Yeah. So I did get a little confused at the end. So how did his son get to the States? I know he talked about his son coming to visit him in a week, but how would he have traveled in a week? So yeah. he, Arthur died like the day before the pandemic really started to hit. And his ex-wife and his son booked a flight like for that next day to for come out for the funeral. So they were on like one of the last flights that ever left, which I think they even said, little did they know this is one of the last flights. that would, or it was like the 26th, the last flight that took off from the airport ever. Wow. Okay. Uh, so they flew, they were flying and they got diverted as well to that Severn city airport. And, and that was a reveal that he was the prophet. Right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was like, aha. Yeah. That was a neat part. Yeah. I like, um, so the Station Eleven comics were neat. So the premise was that there was an alien invasion of Earth. Uh Uh-huh. And Dr. Eleven, or what's his name? I don't remember his name. Oh my goodness, this is awful, but whatever. He ends escaping in Station Eleven, which is a space station about the size of the moon. Uh Uh-huh. And it's mostly like an ocean planet with mm-hmm. islands connected by bridges, and there's cities on the islands. And then there are people that live under the sea that want to go back to Earth. And that's where the conflict is. I do remember the doctor's dog's name is Luli. Yes. Which is then the name of Miranda's dog in real life. And, and? then the name of the prophet's dog uh, that ends up going with Kirsten after the prophet is... Uh, shot by one of his own flock at the near the end of the book. It was the little boy, right? Yeah, the little boy killed him, or shot him, and then shot himself. Good for that little boy. Yeah. So, um, now Kirsten is with the Traveling Symphony, and they do Shakespeare. Yes. Which is kind of neat. I liked that. It was yeah. sort of, um, I like that idea of, you know, traveling artists, and I feel like they would have done that kind of stuff back in, like, the Old West. You know, and well, and what I liked about that, it was so normal. It was kind of normal, you know, like people are in all these post-apocalyptic books. It's just kind of survival and having to, you know, hunt and try to find places to live. And now we're twenty years past that, so we can kind of start to do other things, like be be artists again and uh, perform Shakespeare for people, you know, on the road. Which is it's cool to like think about that. Uh, which actually kind of brings up one of the themes I thought of the book was the survival is insufficient. Yes. Which was a tattoo that 
And it was on the on their caravan. It was on their caravan. And it was a it was a Star Trek quote, but I did not take the time to look up. It sounds like something Spock would say. Well, actually, it's from Voyager. Oh, Star Trek Voyager. Uh, I forgot to see who said it. But I don't remember it. But I think having a traveling symphony like that is really, you know, showing. Yeah, we're doing more than surviving. We're mm-hmm. we're thriving. We're being creative. We're growing. Uh, which Jivan. Or Javon, I don't know how to say his Javon. name. He was the EMT that rushed on stage to rest, try to save Arthur at the performance of the play, King mm-hmm. Lear. But he used to be, he was a paparazzi for a while, and then he became an entertainment journalist. And he thought, he's like, I am wasting my life. Like, this is, I'm not doing anything helpful. You know, in fact, I'm like causing a lot of harm for people. Like, he did take a photo of Miranda in a bad light, which was, you know, upsetting for her. Uh, so I feel like he is also feeling it's insufficient to just survive and like make a paycheck. You know, he wanted to do something more impactful and helpful to his society. Yeah. Although I will say that that scene started the book in a poor light for me because it was such an unrealistic scene. It was such an unrealistic working code. Like the um, their whole process, oh, and then they, the like, EMTs. The EMTs, their process was wrong, and then like they're taking the body, and I'm like, why are they taking the body? The EMTs don't take bodies. <laughs> Who takes them? Um, the coroner. They stay. Oh, uh, I don't think I've mentioned this, but I'm an EMT. Um, just so everyone out there listening knows. So I yeah. I have responded to more than one working code. What does working code mean? Working code means cardiac arrest. Oh, okay. Are, they've coded. Yeah. Their oh. Or um, so they also just kept shocking him, mm-hmm. which does, I mean, you shock people if they are in fibrillation, which means their heart fluctuates. Mm-hmm. So it's beating irregularly. So the whole purpose of the shocking is to stop it so that then it can start beating in a regular rhythm. But if someone's dead, it does not shock them. Mm. So like in movies, they always are like clear shock, clear shock, clear shock. But that doesn't happen usually. Oh. Yeah. Do you just do it once or you don't even do it? You can do it multiple times. Um, mm-hmm. But the way that it works is it's, um, I mean, you actually, nowadays, it's computer driven. So yeah. it's connected directly to the EKG and everything. So yeah. it, um, it'll actually pause for a second, detect the heart rhythm. If, it, if a shock is indicated, it'll say stand clear. Yeah. And then you um, stand clear and you push the button. I do kind of remember that from my CPR training, which I am due for. Need to retake that. My two years are up. Yeah. Although you can still do compressions. You could save someone's life without the cut. Yeah, that... So that scene kind of turns you off the beginning because it wasn't realistic. Seems like that's something she could have researched pretty easily, so too. So anyone listening out there, this is a really sloppy thing that bothers me on television constantly. Uh-huh. Like, it drives me crazy that they'll do CPR for, like, two minutes and then stop. Or, like... They will do like two compressions. You're like, he's gone. Yeah. Like, no, it's like. You're supposed to do it like. 15. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes we'll even, sometimes we'll do it for 20. It really is at the discretion of the paramedic. Yeah. And it's like a workout too, right? You're like sweating and like. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, doing compressions for a long time. That's why you're supposed to change every two minutes. Mm. I usually, I go, I do the, I usually, because it's a lot easier to squeeze a little bag. You do the breathing? Yeah, so you um, you put a mouth thing over the per- person's mouth, and there's a big, I'm sure you've seen it on TV, but it's like a, 
like a little face mask oh, with so a big you, thing, and right. that's connected to oxygen, and you're actually squeezing the tube to force air into the lungs. Oh, so you don't have to even do like a breath. You, yeah, you don't you don't do mouth to mouth for advanced life support. What did you, were you surprised that, I guess we didn't really know he was a main character at that point when he died, like right off the bat. Oh, Arthur? Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised, I was actually surprised that he kept coming back. Yeah. Um, I really liked Miranda's story. Mm-hmm. I thought it was neat. So Arthur came from a small island in Canada. Yep, British Columbia. And he, um, really small population, a bunch of hippies. His father was a, um, he was a snowplow driver. And he ends up meeting Miranda because she moved to the island later in life. And she was 17. And and his mother thought it would be nice if he met her for... um, if he met her at dinner when she was in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And then they fell in love and they got married. And she had a dog named Lily. Lily. And it's, it's, you know, one of the things that was very like A Brief History of the Dead is they revealed that part before Kirsten learned that the prophet's dog name was Lily. Lily. Yeah. Lily. And there's a little Pomeranian. Yeah, and Miranda, uh, so she ended up, there's like a really, it had like a really dreamlike quality to me too, the book. Yes. Just all the like descriptions of of Miranda. Miranda seemed like a really kind of dreamer type of person. You know, she was just always thinking about Station Eleven. Like she had a, she had a job as an administrative assistant type of job. And she liked it because she got all her work done in an hour. And then she could just sit there and do her comics for the rest of the time. And she, that's, that was great. She would stay late doing that. Like her boyfriend at the beginning. The alcoholic artist. Yeah. The alcoholic artist was like, you need to come home. Like, why aren't you ever home? And she's like, I like being here better working on my comic. Uh, So eventually she got rid of him. It was a little strange that she really didn't seem to have any intention of publishing it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she she ends up getting it printed herself, just mm-hmm. as, a, um, as a vanity project, but she never actually gets it published. So as far as we know, there's only, you know, there's only a handful of, of copies available, and it just so happens that two of our characters have managed to get a hold of them, one of which was in Israel at the time when he got it. Yeah, so yeah. Miranda comes to see... Arthur, I guess. I don't remember why she went to see him. She went to see him. So she was in Toronto, and he called her to let him to let her know that his fa- his father. Oh, uh, okay, right. And she was, even though they hadn't spoken in years, she was the first person that he thought of because she he, knew him from the island. Because she knew him. And yeah, he was a fan of Lorca. I don't know why that stood out to me. The one, her one friend in the in the symphony was into poetry. Uh huh. And I just um. Interesting that um, poetry. His father was also a poet. That's what he was. He was a poet um, and a snowplow driver. So she goes to see Arthur, and she goes to see him at the theater. So she's in his like dressing room or whatever. And I guess she had given she had given the copy to Arthur at some point, and he sent it to his son because he thought mm-hmm. he would like it because it's a comic. And then she sent. I, I guess she just gave him the other one. Then she gave him the other one that night, and I think actually. I wonder if she gave him multiple copies that time. And then he sent one to his son and one to... And then he gave one to, to, to Kirsten because yeah. he's like, I don't know what to do with this. Which and is kind of funny. Yeah, and the paperweight. 
So he gives it to Kirsten, complaining about her friends being mean to her. Yeah. And it's pretty. And she ends up carrying... It's one of the few possessions she carries with her through the wasteland. Yeah. It's all these tiny things that were, like, meaningless to Arthur. Like, he just didn't care about them. And then they, like, echoed through the rest, like, for 20 years through, like, care... Like, even when Clark gets the paperweight at the end. Yeah. Like, she shows it to him, and he's like, oh, I remember giving this to Arthur. I think that's what happened. He gave it to Arthur at the dinner party, and Miranda took it because she was mad because her husband was cheating on her. Elizabeth. Yeah, Elizabeth, the blonde. So when she realizes that that Arthur and Elizabeth are cheating, that's the night that the paparazzi guy takes a picture of her. Yep. She bums a cigarette off him because she knows that he's always standing in front of the house. Because Arthur starts out as just like a regular little-time actor, but by the end of the book, he's like a huge movie star. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like... I guess he's doing the the theater play just to, he's kind of a little, not washed up, but you know, he's, the parts aren't as coming as fast anymore. So he's doing the play just to, to do something. And he does say, it's always been my dream to play King Lear, which I've never seen. I've never seen King Lear either. I'm not a big Shakespeare person. I'm not going to lie. You know, I like watching your performs. I do not like. I don't, I don't understand what they're talking about. I need to have. Like, I need to have, like, a class where we learn about it. And then, because I, I like Hamlet, because we had to read it in high school. And I was like, okay, now I understand it. Yeah. And we had to read Romeo and Juliet, which I guess that was okay. Romeo and Juliet is a wonderful, is a beautiful and wonderful place. So I think that all of us are sick of it because yeah. we all had to read it. Yeah. And it was just like every movie was based on Romeo and Juliet. And I mean, come on now, Leo. Yeah. And that 1996 movie that was. You know, super huge when we were like teenagers. So one of the best soundtracks of all time. It was a good soundtrack. Love me, love me. Yeah, and the uh, there was like some garbage song on there too that was good. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I obviously owned it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I like um the whole section of what was the name of the paramedic guy? He wasn't a paramedic, um, but he was the paparazzi turned. Javon. Javon. J-E-E-V-A-N. So Jevon. Jevon. Yeah. He um, he ends up like heading out for like a long time with his paralyzed brother in Toronto after the, the Georgian flu hits the town. Right. His friend is a doctor in Toronto and he calls him out of the blue. He hasn't talked to him in years. And he's like, he's like, hey, Javon, remember when you were freaking out about some flu a couple of years ago? Sucks. SARS, and I said I would call you if there was ever anything to actually freak out about. He's like, well, you should freak out about this. And he does. He freaks out. Jason has finished chopping the sweet potatoes, and now he's putting some oil on them. Dicing uncooked sweet potatoes is harder than you think. Yeah, it's very, uh, they're very hard. Thank you for taking the lead on that. I didn't even, uh, suddenly I read Dice, I was like, oh, I probably should do that before we do anything else, since these are going to take a while. So those are going in for 25 to 30 minutes. Um, and then while that's roasting, we can make the enchilada sauce and the avocado lime crema. Oh, boy. Yeah, so Javon, though, when his friend told him, you know, it's time to freak out, so he, he just had a fight with his girlfriend. Yes, she left him. He, I think I kind of side with him on this. Oh, me? A hundred percent. So he runs on stage to perform CPR on Arthur when he dies. And she gets, she has a headache, so she just leaves him at the theater. 
And then she asks him to pick up milk on the way home. Yeah, I would be pissed. Yeah. If you, like, helping someone die, like, on stage, or not helping someone die, trying to, yeah. trying to help him not die, and then, you know, being, trying to help out all these people who are traumatized by seeing their friend die. Yeah, performing CPR and failing to perform CPR, especially if you don't see it often, yeah. is a traumatic experience. Yeah. And, I mean, he... I mean, he's, he probably would have been more emotionally impacted if there wasn't a flu killing everyone in the earth. Ah, uh, you know what I forgot? I forgot my lime. Do you have a lime juice? I might. I have, I have. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. I put, a, like, some tomatoes and a lime and a Tupperware and then left it on the counter, so. Okay, so how are we going to do the sauces? Okay, so the sauce, heat oil, and then you're going to saute onions and garlic. Then you're going to add chili powder, cumin, oregano, salt. And then you're going to stir in the tomato sauce, tomato paste, and then water and apple cider vinegar. Yeah. Or I actually brought stuff to make a broth, too. Or we could probably... While you're doing that, I'll measure out all the spices. Perfect. Okay. And if you want, there are prep bowls in this cabinet. Right and I did bring some garlic, but it looks like you have some over there. Yeah. yeah. Although I think my garlic is not fresh. Those are beautiful prep bowls. Aren't they wonderful? I think they came with like one of those desserts that just comes in a glass dish. Oh, I love those too. It's like yeah. getting a free, free dish. Let's see. Do I know where you hold all your measuring oh, cups? Yep. Yep. So Javon, you know, he's mad at his girlfriend. So he's like, well, uh, you know, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to go to my brother's. But first he goes to the grocery store and fills up eight carts full of food. And puts them all the way to his house. I'm like, how did he push eight carts? Like, did so. he... Did he take trips? He took trips, and then and that's why it was like a, a race against time to get there before the store closed. I would, like, how did someone not steal that? You know, like a full cart of food? I guess it was snowing, so maybe there weren't a lot of people out, but... Bring him out. He left him in front of the building. He left him in front of the building, so they were just sitting out there. If I was working there, I would be like, oh my god, what is happening? What is this guy doing? Well, he did get a weird look from the cashier. And she, like, she wasn't really clued in yet that there was about to be a huge disaster so so what was happening while this was going on is an airplane came in from and a handful of patients came in from the airport to the emergency room and the disease was starting to run rampant through the emergency room i mean through the hospital so it, it wasn't news yet it, because it yeah that's quickly. true it was just it was a lot like the blinks in the brief history of the dead where you were impacted very quickly by it now as from a Epidema, epidemicological standpoint. I don't know if that's actually a word, but I was researching this and most diseases that are super fatal like this that happen so quickly don't tend to spread that much because people die before they can spread it. Right. They would have died in the airplane. Yeah. And like, I don't know how it spread all over the whole world, uh, but you know, huh? I just, I, I feel I have a hard time believing it would get that far, but you know, well, she obviously modeled it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, and just like the last book, I think all of us know more about pandemics. Oh, yeah. Now we know a lot, unfortunately. Although Marilyn just lifted, we just had her mask mandate lifted here. Yes. Um, let's grab the pot. But I liked... I, I, I like the imagery of him just going in there and buying everything. And I just, I really like that scene of him and then bringing it to his brother's house. And then he just like camps out with his brother for 60 days, I think it is. They're there. 
Yeah. His brother, his brother decides to before him, which means he commits suicide. Because his brother was injured in, uh, he was like a military doctor, I think. Is that what he was? No, he was a war zone. Okay, yeah, so he was injured, so he was in a wheelchair. That was really sad. But he was dutifully working on his book. Yeah, he's... About the anonymous therapist. Yeah. Yeah, so the entire time he's waiting in his apartment, he's still working on the book that he's ghostwriting, which is... Even though, like, there's no one to turn the book to. Everyone's dead. He just, he's using it as a distraction so he doesn't, you know, get overwhelmed by what's happened. There's a lot of uh, themes of just art for art's sake here in this book. You know, like, with Miranda, she's just doing it for himself, herself. And at that point, I think his name's Frank. He's doing it for himself, too. You know, there's no one left to make him publish that or to work on that. But he still does it. And even the symphony, to some extent. Yeah. And their life is... Do you have recycling somewhere? Right here. Oh my god, your dishwashing detergent looks like mints. Mm. Yeah, yum. Dishwashing detergent challenge. Now, do you have a, a can opener somewhere? Oh no. Oh no, it's easy. I'll show you. I have a hard time with uh, can electronic can openers. It's not as fancy as Giggies. It's my one flaw. Okay, that doesn't seem that bad. So you just stick it on there. Yep. Okay. I think I can do that. You kind of put it under the lip on that, right above that little gear. Um, but yeah, so he ends up, his brother, you know, takes a bunch of sleeping pills because he's, he knows he's going to be a burden, which is really sad. Yeah, it is. He, um, they don't say how. Oh, did he? They did. They sleeping pills. It was either sleeping pills or like a bunch of Tylenol or something. Or he just, he had some kind of medicine that he was able to to overdose on the whole um the tv like i liked the whole description of how at one point there's only one channel broadcasting and it's just random people from the building reading the news yeah because there's no journalists left and then one of the journalists so you know they're watching tv throughout this while they can and it's just getting more and more chaotic and at one point they're just the newscaster's like honey Take the kids, go to our sisters in in the woods, you know, don't he's like talking to his wife basically on the newscast. Which is crazy, you know, that'd be unheard of. Not in my, you know, not during a pan like a terrible plague, basically. But it's lucky he had a brother to go to. Yeah. Think about I mean, there's all these people talking about not even knowing where their spouses are. Mm-hmm. Everything gets crazy so quickly that people are just stuck where they are and the, the phones stop working. So and he did, uh, they were on like the top floor, I believe, of the, of the apartment building. So they were able to kind of be isolated and they, they like taped their air systems shut, you know, with like, they put tape over it so they wouldn't be breathing in whatever was in coming through the air vents. You know, they put a dresser in front of the door so someone couldn't break in. It's kind of creepy. Yeah, I guess scavengers. Leaving the city with no electricity would have been terrifying. Just pitch black and there was gunshots. I did like that they got gasoline expiring right. Yeah. A lot of people don't do that. So all the gas, so all the cars and everything stopped working at three years-ish. And then jet fuel works a little bit longer. And um, Javon 
notes this at the beginning, which is a, it's one of those facts where he's to be gone. And it's helpful because later on that information, so I'm sure that was a deliberate choice. Uh, but we don't really see too much of him in the book. I mean, he's kind of there in the beginning. Uh, and then we talk, we see him, I think maybe one more time, two more times during the book, you know, when he leaves his, his brother and then he, we see him again. He's found a home. He has a wife and, uh, he has a baby and he's like, a, he's like the town doctor. So he's doing okay. Oh, you're Chicago. Yeah. Which is interesting that all these people went from Toronto to Chicago and ended up in the same place. Mm-hmm. I mean, even the kid from Tel Aviv managed to end up in the same place. I'm going to set these over here for you, Jason. Okay. So I'll need some direction. I only just, I'm at the point where I'm okay. paying it. So once they're sauteed, what do I need to do? Then you're going to add the spices and let it um, for 30 seconds. Okay. And then you're going to add just everything else and bring it to a boil. Okay. And then you're going to reduce heat and let it simmer for five minutes and remove. And then you can add some salt and pepper if you wish. So, uh, Arthur's son, Tyler. So we meet him at the airport and he's freaking out when his Game Boy dies. Yes, he do. So all he has to read is the Bible and the Station Eleven comic. Yeah. And he builds a whole world around the two. Yep. And so a, f- a plane lands... Early, early on when in their quarantine there, or not their quarantine, but just their marooned at the airport. So the, the quarantine plane, la- or the plane lands, and it doesn't come to the gate. Uh, and I think they put up like quarantine signs. They don't open it. Like they don't allow anyone to leave the plane. Uh, so you can only imagine like what kind of horrible things happened on that plane. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone probably dying. <clears throat> and uh, Tyler started going out there every day and just like reading Bible passages to the plane, like kind of crazily, and just kind of going around and quoting the Bible and like revelations and all that. I guess that, you know, that kind of experience could probably turn you into a crazy person like that. But the, uh, the whole, so his cult that he had, he had about like four or five wives. And, you know, if you didn't want to be his wife, he would kind of exile you. The graves were weird. So yeah. in the town, they, they know they're not dead because the town keeps them dead if they leave. Right. So they find they go there to find their friends. I guess they left there. So we're at that point, and they're not there. So they, you know, that's when they get kind of suspicious. And the pro- the prophet watched one of their performances, and you know, he's just creepy and like wants wants all the women for himself. Isn't that always the way? Yeah. Oh, that smells really good. Garlic. All those things came to him in dreams. The town, the description of the town at the beginning was interesting. Like, I liked the, um, the contrast to what it was. So the first time they passed through, people are sort of starting to make a community. There's mm-hmm. people that live in different places. There's people that live in the, um, in the IHOP. Yep. And the library and the... The prophet ends up moving into the gas station at the middle of town. So I'm not quite sure why they wouldn't just live in a house. That I didn't get really. Yeah, I don't get that either. Unless like the houses are full of like dead people, like wouldn't they have like taken the bodies out? Unless so, buildings are starting to collapse at this point. Yeah, twenty 20 years. years. Right, with no maintenance, as far as we know. They do find the that when they're traveling to get to the um, to the airport, Kirsten and um, Sebastian. 
Uh, let's see. They, um, they ended up finding a house that is undisturbed. Yes. Unusual. Yeah. And they found a little boy that's dead in bed, and the parents are dead downstairs. But the most exciting find was they find a model of the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, because they're Star Trek fans. Well, or they, never seen it. they it thought. The funniest part. Yeah. Poor Miranda has never seen, not Miranda, poor Kirsten is, um, she has no memories of life before. Like, she has a vague memory of Arthur from when she was on that in that play, but she doesn't really remember life before the Georgia flu. Oh, I guess I'm supposed to do this in a food processor. Okay, so the sauce, now I've added all the ingredients, I'm bringing it to a boil. Yep, and then once it boils, you just let it turn down to a simmer. And let it simmer. So they, uh, something happens and the prophet is following them and the, the prophet ends up taking two of their people so hostage. They, they have a stowaway, a little girl who, is, who was assigned to be his fifth wife. Yes. Hides in their caravan when they're in town. And they, and he is trying to get her because she has been promised to him. Yeah. Cr totally creepy. Totally creepy. So She's he takes 12, two. And her parents are both dead. Good for her for getting out of town. I know, right? Uh, but he doesn't like that, so he, you know, they capture two of the uh, symphony people, and one of them dies. From the chloroform. Yeah, which kind of remind that reminded me of a parable of the talents. Remember how we had someone die from that, too? Oh, the, uh, for the, from the knockout gas. Yeah. So they eventually have, like, a showdown with uh, Kirsten and her traveling... What was his name? I don't remember what his name was. Uh, but they have like a showdown. They, f they see one of their, their captured symphony mates and they end up killing the other people except for the little boy who runs away. I love how she ends up getting one. So she, she ends up getting the upper hand because the prophet quotes Station Eleven. Yeah. And she quotes it back at him. And that makes him pause just mm -hmm. enough time for the little boy to shoot him in the head. Yep. So, I'm a little disappointed because, I mean, I'm glad you guys <clears throat> to find out more information, but she probably still doesn't even know who the kid is by the end. I don't remember. No. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think she knows that's Arthur Leander's kid. Yeah, because she was obsessed with Arthur Leander. So, as she's traveling, she's always looking for news clippings and stuff about him. Just because yeah, because she remembers him. Yeah. His book, Dear V. Yeah. So, he had a friend in the island that he would write letters to. And she ended up publishing the letters. And he's like, I don't really blame her. Like, she needs money. Uh, but he obviously wasn't happy because it was, like, private stuff. And he's talking about his ex-wives. And... He did kind of own it. He was like, I kind of used her as a journal. She yeah. She never wrote back to him. He just kind of vented about what was going on in his life to her. Yeah. So in the last, the last kind of main plot point is Clark. So that's his friend from when he's growing up. He gets, you know, marooned at the Severn City Airport with Elizabeth and the son. And he ends up staying there. And he starts a museum of objects from, you know, the previous life. So like laptops and one of the... the Oh, so why we're making Mexican food is there's a scene where they, they're in the airport and they're running out of food. They've bought everything from the vending machines. The Mexican restaurant has been abandoned. 
for like three or four days at this point. So they they break in and they make a huge Mexican feast. And the one of the pilots is there and he leaves his credit card next to the register. He's like, it's on me, guys. He stays there for six months. Yeah, and then Clark puts that in his museum. Like, remember credit cards? He does eventually get to meet Kirsten. And he remembers her, I think, from... Or he, he knows that she was there because it was in the... The dude, it's the, it's the paramedic guy. It's the reason because he runs on stage and he's never identified. Yeah. What was, was that the uh, sweet potatoes? That is the sweet potatoes. Nice. Okay, so this is good. That looks amazing. Why don't I make that all the time? How do they look? They look good. They sound good too. They need to be fork tender. Shall I get you a fork? Yes, please. Sweet potatoes. Yes. Oh yeah, perfect. I might have should have gotten a bigger bowl. Um, here. So we want to mix that with this and with uh, a third of the enchilada sauce. Okay. the first time he got to read Station Eleven, though, Clark, when Kirsten comes back and she gives him a copy. He only knew about it as, as Miranda's passion project. Right, and then he's reading it and he recognizes a scene where... The dinner table. The dinner scene from the beginning. And that's when he realizes it's Miranda that wrote it. Yep. Which I liked. I thought that was nice. Yeah, he recognizes her and she rec yeah, he recognizes Arthur. It's the pretentious woman that pronounces um, Prague. <laughs> What did she call it? Praha. Praha. And he's like, oh, if you're saying in English, it's appropriate to say Prague. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. So I thought that was a nice little, like, just kind of tying everything together, but not in like a, you know, it wasn't like super hokey, you know, or like unbelievable. Right. It was just, you know, circumstances. So I thought that was well done. So, did you like it? I really liked it, actually. I liked it. Um, I feel like the whole profit plotline sort of got lost. Yeah. And I mean, the most, the biggest source of drama is them trying to escape from the profit. And we kind of skip large chunks of time and jump forward, and all of a sudden he's there. And it's it's kind of like not that hard really to defeat him in the end. You know, it's not really. Well, I mean, I guess one person does die, but. So we're just gonna dump a third of that in here. Okay. There's a is ladle, this a spoon? Like, um, there's a bigger ladle right here. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about the pole, or should we? Do you want to? Yeah, let's talk about the pole. Okay. I have not totaled it yet. So are we adding the totals from the first one, or are we just starting with the second? one? Just starting with the second one. And I did kind of screw it up a little bit because I posted it on my page. So some people voted on my page, my Facebook page, and not okay. the. So, but I did. I did like sum it up, and it looks like. Three-body problem had the most votes. That's that's what I thought, too. So. Okay. Looks like we're doing three-body problem. And we are going to Facebook Live that recording. Yes. So um, so we'll post to our Facebook page. And I mean, if we don't do Facebook Live, we might do it on YouTube. Yeah, we'll do it on somewhere. So you can. You can watch us cook and you can see all the stuff that Jason cuts out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the behind the scenes.
he cuts out all me going like 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 like. I'm excited about dinner. I know I am too. This looks so good. All right. Nothing about three body problem. I know it's very popular. Yeah, I hadn't heard about it until I was like googling like books, and that one came up. It's like very. It's like the most popular Chinese science fiction author. Uh, it is translated from Chinese, okay. but uh, it's very popular and people seem to love it. So I'm excited. And uh, the Color Magic got some votes. Yep, and uh, a couple of the other ones did too. Yeah. And then we actually got some suggestions. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so we can. Um, so we'll keep we'll keep tabs of our suggestions, and we can keep adding stuff in as we take other stuff off. Oh, and I did want to just mention that my book club is reading this book for this month too for our book club oh, you're ahead you don't have to read it again so yeah i know i had a little e so i've been reading the expanse books too so i got to read a little more expanse this month uh but i just wanted to say hi to all my book club friends uh kiki Bo, heather mary and danielle yay these are all friends from orlando right yep yeah and they're actually all meeting we have a book club meeting next sunday and they're all meeting, like, all the Orlando ones are meeting in person. Oh, that's great. But Kiki's, like, I don't know, she's, like, in Iraq right now yeah, or something. Yeah, she's overseas. I remember Kiki. So Hi, Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that made... I guess that was ten, right? Yeah. Two, three, four. Okay. This one can probably just go right in the oven. Should I cover them? No. No. So we will take pictures of this and share it as usual. Yeah, and have a good have a good month. Have a good month. We'll talk to you on um, what's it's July seventh. Yeah, July seventh. Perfect. All so, right. Cool. See you all on July seventh.